was on the 9th of June In 1862 on a summer's afternoon I took the bus from Flores And she was heavy laden Away we went and I call it Went straight to see the racing plane Oh, he lands You should have seen us get in Passing the bus along the road All of them were staring All the lads and lasses there They all started faces Getting along the scots would What's up, ladies and germs? Welcome to another episode of CHA Radio. It is your boy, Elijah Newsom, and I am joined once again by popular demand with my good friend, Marcus, who is now my friend as of less than a week ago. Marcus, how are you doing? I am doing very, very well. My my ego has recently skyrocketed because I'm apparently backed by popular demand. I've never been backed by anything other than great detest. So this is a huge, huge day for me. Plus, Newcastle have three wins in a row, which is also huge for me and very new for the club as well. So I'm doing very well, thanks. How's yourself? Uh, great. I'm. I'm just want a quick podcast stat. Newcastle are undefeated in episodes in which Marcus appears. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I think we could probably get some pretty beefy salaries out of the PIF if we leak that information to them. So yeah, we'll just read that stat on Twitter, everyone. Yeah, we'll be sure to get it out. Um, Speaking of Twitter, you can follow uh, the main account at Coming Home NUFC on Twitter and then the podcast account, which I've discovered the login for, at CHN underscore podcast. Um, and you can follow your boy at Elijah underscore Newsom. Although if you follow me, it will be, as Marcus pointed out, um, not like we were talking earlier, not, not really that related to Newcastle at all. I keep that to the Newcastle Twitter accounts. But There's I'll talk about... NFL stuff that I just don't really understand. In fairness, Marcus, the NFL's over now. Um, so it'll be now, it'll be like a lot of NBA stuff that you don't understand. Wait, the, the NFL ends? Yeah, yeah. It's the season. It was it, just the Super Bowl. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Seasons in the NFL. Yeah. Yeah. Makes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was just the Super Bowl. Yeah, the end of the season. <laughs> yeah, I. it makes sense when you say it like that. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Um, all right, cool. Uh, and Marcus, still, you don't have a Twitter you want people to follow you at? No, I'm, I'm remaining mysterious for another week, and then uh, maybe I'll start uh, again. I'll, I'll get a Twitter by next week. Yeah. I'll, oh, I'll okay. That. No. Yeah. Sure. I totally believe that. <laughs> As you should. I'm a very honorable man. Yeah. Um, so let's get into it. Uh, we got a, a lot to cover today. Uh, we're going to start off by recapping Newcastle's win against Aston Villa. Um, a win I did not predict. Marcus, I think, did you have it as a win? I think I put it down as a win. I was, um, and I'm ever the optimist, even when I probably shouldn't be. But yes, I, I, I think I saw us nipping that. And it, we'll get into it later, but it was a lot, uh, it was a lot nervier than I was hoping. But yeah, I think I had it as a win. Yeah, also... Uh, overall, probably not as exciting as the matches anyone predicted. I think, given 
the the former Newcastle and kind of given how Aston Villa has been playing recently, I thought I think we both put it as like, you know, games, a match in which teams would score multiple times, et cetera, et cetera. So a bit disappointing on that end, but ne- nevertheless, we won. So it, uh, I can't complain. Um, we're going to hop right into your three words. Um, we're going to start with uh, Justin at best underscore smart. Uh, he just put Ric Flair doing the woo gif uh, or gif, which, hey. Amazing. amazing. Yeah, amazing. Three times, Justin, because it, yeah. it deserves to be posted thrice. Like. Yeah, what? exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I, I love it. Marcus, you a big wrestling guy? Not even remotely. Me and a friend would sometimes, because I had English telly back home when I was younger. We were, if we were having sleepovers, we might sit there and watch wrestling. My favorite wrestling moment is divide. It's two things. It's one, our truth coming in from the stand singing his "What's Up" song. Yeah. Three minutes too long, and it's some. I, it I, it might have been a guy called CM Punk saying your ugliness comes yeah. me. No, that wasn't CM Punk. It was someone else. But that's just an amazing thing to say. Yeah, and Randy Orton RKO memes, amazing. Um, but no, not really a wrestling fan at all. I did, however, go to an, an exhibition of Norway wrestling a couple of months ago, and that was it, it was it was fine. It was fun, but it wasn't good. <laughs> That's that. I don't know where I thought that story was going to end up or that question was going to end up, but I'm glad it landed where it did. Uh, just going to yeah, keep <laughs> not, not big on wrestling, I'll be honest. But if we crack on with the next of the three words, we have Toonami Calgary, Calgary, anyway, yeah, Calgary, big Dan Bourne. Yes, which, um, maybe they mean that Dan, Dan Byrne is born. And he is big, which is fair. So crack on, yeah. They're Canadian, so we'll just leave it at that. Yeah, I think it's best not to comment too much on that. Yeah, we have Mr. Yeah. Steel the Worldwide saying climbing the ladder. Very true. It's true. Stort nine better players win. Very true. And we have Kieran John Trippier said by Toon Army New England. James Whitmore, please pod weekly. We'll get to that. Works work in progress. And Ted Phillips going burn, baby burn. And shout out to Greg Troxell as well, the um, <clears throat> second best co-host this podcast has ever had, who just oh. said gear and job trippier. Oh, yes. Exactly. The, I'll I'll have to tell Greg to make sure he listens for that. And then uh, some people on the main account also commented Eric Schmidt at NUC Indiana, ugly but effective. Norman. At Norman underscore seventeen oh four, Dan Byrne, man, that got a lot of likes too. Uh, so shout out to him. And yep. then uh, Daniel Shuttleworth at D underscore Shuttleworth five said, uh, "Big Brazilian legend with the with the GIF Joel in tune, uh, which is <laughs> funny." Uh, and then Jay Singh at J Kando eighty four also said, "Burn baby burn." So a lot of Dan Byrne uh, praise and. Rightfully so. Uh, um, yeah. It was a, a, a good match from Dan Byrne. Uh, we're going to go straight into lineups then, um, if that's okay with you. 
yeah, crack on. Um, so we both were screaming for Bruno gummy bears or gummyage. Uh, maybe I will, I will get it right at some point to start yeah. after his brilliant like five minute debut. And we're like, you know, if he doesn't start, maybe he'll get forty minutes or something like that or thirty minutes. That didn't happen because he didn't start. Newcastle no, World, more, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Newcastle rolled out uh, a lineup of Martin Dubrovka and goal. Kieran Trippier as captain, Fabian Cher and Dan Byrne slotted in for Jamal Lascelles, who was ill. So Dan Byrne gets his debut. Uh, Javi Manquillo plays left back with Joe Willock, Shelby, and Joel Linton in the midfield with Frazier Wood and St. Maxman. So essentially, only two changes from the side that won 3 1 against Everton. Uh, with one expected change, and uh, obviously Javi Manquillo starting for Matt Target, and then uh, Dan Byrne making his debut, which was something that I think people were anticipating, but you know the way that it happened maybe was surprising to folks. Lascelles not really being dropped, Share not being dropped, um, just slotted in for injury. So we'll see uh, what Eddie Howe does this weekend uh, when he's got three healthy center backs that he's apparently enjoyed using. Um, all available to him um, as well. So we will see. Um, any thoughts on that lineup when it came out? Um, I, obviously, the first thing I noticed was Trippier being captain. And then the second thing I noticed almost immediately after was Lascelles not playing. And I think we were proven a bit, not that we're sort of experts or whatever, but I think we were proven a bit right because it seems like Jamal Lascelles was ill and had a bit of a stomach bug or something. So... Uh, Dan Byrne came in and did so, so extraordinarily well. I think he slotted nicely in where we maybe have lost a bit of calm from target. So obviously he got man of the match as well and did really, really well. It, it was a perfect debut for Dan Byrne. Clean sheet, yeah. winning, and we'll get into this a bit more, but... It was, I think, despite it being a bit of a not-good-looking game, like this is not going to go down as one of the sexiest football games ever played, it was a good win for us because we had to work for it. Yeah. Because Aston Villa actually turned up, and even though they had a slightly changed lineup, they were still having Coutinho, Watkins. They have good players on the pitch. You know, Buendia, uh, Jake Ramsey, uh, they have good players. Luca Dean, I thought, did well-ish for them, so it was a good, grindy win for us, and I'm very pleased we actually saw it through. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, again, like, overall tune of the match, uh, you could say Newcastle, the press was very effective early on. Uh, Newcastle pressing well. There were some chances here and there, um, but ultimately, that was probably the thing that made um, Aston Villa probably the most uncomfortable. Um Villa were trying to play big, which was just as one. This is like Steve Bruce level of tactical regimen, which is Steve Bruce actually did this against Brighton last year, tried to play big long balls over the top uh, for his striker to try to beat out two large defenders. So um, Ollie Watkins was trying to go head to head with Dan Byrne and these big balls that were meant for him to bring down and control while Coutinho and Buendia you know, made runs in behind, but obviously Watkins did not win many of those balls because Dan Byrne is seven foot 11. So um, that was just an interesting strategy that Villa uh, went with and they went away from it in the second half, rightfully so, and tried to play 
a bit more uh a bit more involving like their midfielders as well as some of their wingers uh mcginn got pretty wide at times it was very interesting he had some trouble containing alan say maxman who was by far you know maybe not as dominant as he was in everton but definitely causing some problems won a few fouls Joel Linton as well, yeah, won a few fouls. Actually, uh, Alison Maxman did. Yeah. Uh, especially, I think, also winning them in good moments because there, there is a bit of an element to that. Why are you dribbling 40 metres away from your own goal? But you could tell that he was either going to get or get a free kick, which also does relieve a bit of the pressure on our defence, which was not bombarded. I mean, Aston Villa only had the one shot on target, but... He he did well. It was more it was more of a grind for him as well, but he grinds in his own fabulous way. So I think the team did well. It was a good performance all in all from Newcastle, and I think or a bit as I mentioned earlier, the fact that we actually have shown now that we don't only have to meet because Everton were quite poor against us. Aston Villa were poor as well, but we had to sort of we had to structure up, we had to defend well, and we did that. We did that for almost the entirety of the game, if you disregard uh, Ollie Watkins' disallowed goal, which I'm sure we'll get into later. But good work from everyone, us uh, and Maximum included. Yeah. Um, and, you know, speaking of, uh, Newcastle, of course, had um, a couple of, of chances before um, the, you know, early on in the match. Uh, Ryan Fraser uh, whipped in a cross to Chris Wood, and we almost had a Chris Wood goal. Um, he was just wide of the post. A bit later, uh, we had, like, literally right after that, Tyrone Mings uh, <laughs> came out to block uh, Joe Willock and just stepped stepped on him. Just And it was on the edge of the box. Some people thought it was on the line. I mean, I didn't see an angle in any of the replays that I saw that led in, led me to believe that it was on the line. But, you know, at first it was shouts for a penalty and then it ended up going to VAR and then being awarded a free kick. Before we get into what happened at the free kick, do you have any thoughts on just that whole sequence with Joe Willick, you know, winning the ball back and then, you know, getting fouled? Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's a lot of what Joe Willick showed last game uh, again against Everton. He's getting a lot better now and getting back up to speed where he can win the ball back and just start driving with pace. And he obviously does this, and I think he maybe would have scored if he got past Tyrone Mings there. But as you said, he gets uh, stamped on. And I think my understanding of the rules is that that was correctly not a penalty because it's not where the player falls or, you know, where his hand is hovering. It's where the contact happens. So you can be fouled on the edge of the box and end up at the byline if it's a wet day. But the contact is still outside the box. So I think that's a completely correct decision. But again, you know, if you're looking at it live, these players move at high speeds with the ball. There's players around them. It it can be very, very hard to see live. But I think it was a correct decision. Yeah. Uh, and again, uh, good on VAR to, to get it sorted out and straight and straight. Get it sorted and get it. I don't know what I'm trying to say there, but VAR well, didn't stop. Yeah. Where the praise for VAR. Well yeah. done. Good day for VAR. Uh, so um, in the 35th minute after all of that, um, we actually had a goal. 
by Newcastle. Uh, Kieran Trippier, Trippier, Trippier. We're still, still trying to figure out how I can say this name because it's one of those names that only sounds good when people with accents say it. And with with Americans, it just there's no good way to say it. So just well, bear with like us. Northern accent, like Trippier. Isn't that, oh isn't gosh! That cool? Isn't that cool? That, that that I don't. I, don't, I would I would shy away from bringing out my <laughs> southern accent on this pod, even though it shows through at times. But um, but yeah. So anyway, uh, Kieran scores. Uh, is a, yeah. another great free kick goal. Kieran in four matches now has the same amount of goals and assists as Jane Sancho. So take that with you know as you may. But you know that's just a fun stat that me and my friends were looking at. Um, also, yeah. take that Jaden Sancho, I suppose. Oh, yeah. no, I'm it, like, take that Man United. Yeah, yeah, sure. We'll, we'll, we'll say that's a Man United problem. Um, I think they're, as we're recording, I'm, I'm pretty sure they're still beating Brighton. So I guess we're Man United fans for now. Um, but anyway, uh, great free kick by Kieran goes through the wall, something you don't see often as it kind of disintegrates. Um, it kind of, as they jumped and made some space, he found the space, went through the wall and it's, it took a, a bit of a deflection, but nonetheless, a goal is a goal. And, uh, yeah, Newcastle lead one, nothing then. Yeah. Cause I think what's a bit interesting is you have like the wall and it's, let's just say the wall was four players. There were four Villa players. And then you have, yeah. I think when who's standing a bit to the left of the wall, cause the free kicks coming in from the right. And Buendia moves towards the right and he's got his hands on his back and then he lifts his right leg to try and block the shot because the shot goes right past the, the wall of four and that deflection just sends Martinez the wrong way. I think it would have gone in anyway because it was a good curler. But yeah. what you see, if you I don't know if you noticed this, Elijah, but right after the goal goes in, Tyrone Mings, he sort of, because he's turned around in the wall and he's a bit off balance. And as he gets into balance, he just two-hand shoves Buendia. So I don't think he was quite pleased with Buendia deflecting it into his own goal. So I yeah, think and- just doing something silly or if that was something they tried to do, Aston Villa, I don't know. Anyway, it, it went in and that's the important thing. Yeah, it's tough because like your natural inclination when you're defending is to get a body part in the path of the ball in order to alter it. And you're hoping that it alters, it alters it in a way that whatever that person, whether it was a pass or a shot, whatever they were trying to do, it, it like, it's clearly not going to happen. So you just like, I understand trying to deflect the ball. I mean, I don't, I don't know how you can really fault a player for putting their body on the line, try to prevent a goal. It's just unlucky that I guess he didn't get enough on it, even though it, it hit, pretty squarely like on his thigh like you were saying so i don't know i mean also tyrone means as some nerve calling someone else out because he's been not great this season so i don't know that's rocky season yeah so um again newcastle actually uh were playing quite well to close out the half some notes uh javi mankio uh we had a couple early substitutions javi mankio went out uh in the stoppage time of halftime uh, there was a, it was a fairly long amount of stoppage time. I think it was almost seven minutes because of the VAR check, as well as there was an incident in the stands. So we're just yeah. hoping that whatever happened there, you know, was was sorted. And 
everyone's safe. Uh, but uh, Mankio went off uh, for Paul Dummett, which, you know, it's it it made a difference for sure. Um, Mankio yeah. was definitely involved in an in attack, and Paul Dummett's not going to give you that as well. So you kind of lose a bit of a threat going forward. Um, and then uh, we hit halftime, and I think everyone was pretty content with how the half was going. Uh, Newcastle looked good. Uh, the press, of, like we mentioned earlier, was looking really good. Um, and I don't know. I don't think there were any complaints. Did you have any thoughts after the first half where you're just like, yeah, it's a good half, maybe want another goal, et cetera, et cetera? Um, I mean, obviously want more goals, but we hadn't a bit like you alluded to. It wasn't we didn't have that many great chances. I mean, there was the odd cross in and obviously the the, the free kick that led to a goal. But I think I was quite pleased going into the half at 1-0 because I thought, yeah, I think maybe we were the slightly better side, but it was a close contest. So, no, I think going into the half a bit, like you said, the main takeaways are, even though Aston Villa weren't doing that excellently in attack, we'd still limited them to very, very little. And we'd gotten that free kick through what was a good move by Willock, a good free kick by Trippier, and we'd held on and done well, despite there being a bit of shakes in the team with Mankiw going out and Dummett coming on. So, no, solid first half for Newcastle. Yeah. Agreed. Um, yeah, it's it, it was it was a good it was a good first half, but it definitely felt like you said, um, especially when you start, especially losing like Mankio for Dummett. I was like, oh, maybe you kind of want another goal to just just so that we don't have to be on the front foot as much in the second half. But again, not not a not again not not an awful spot to be in considering the rest of the season. Newcastle are usually down at the half, so. <laughs> um, this, yeah. so yeah so again so uh we'll, we'll keep we'll keep trucking on uh so second half started fairly similar to the first half uh except for one thing uh about two minutes in Trippier pulls up and something's clearly wrong he's on the ground and immediately takes off his out his captain's armband so I think at first people thought maybe it was that he had re, re- aggravated his calf in- in- injury um as well at, or something with the hamstring um, as well, uh, but it turned out to be worse than that, and we'll get into that after we finish the recap. And uh, Trippier subbed off for Emil Kraft, who I am not going to lie, I legitimately forgot Kraft was on this team. Uh, and so <laughs> it's important to to this important substitution because one of two things happens: Trippier is by far um, like skill wise, he's probably and we haven't seen enough of Bruno, but. Right now, skill-wise, I think he's probably the best player in Newcastle. And that's not really a hot take at all. And the, the the level of play is elevated with him on the field. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, from everything, the smallest things from, like, he doesn't take bad touches. Like, that is something that we're just not used to. We see so many Newcastle players, even like Alan C. Maxman, he gets away with, you know, having bad touches at times because he's so quick and he's able to regain possession very quickly. But, like, they play a ball at the trip here. It's 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 going to get controlled, and it's going to be something he's going to be able to control and play a good pass forward. It's like very small things that you notice, um, you know, when he's on the pitch. That like when he's not on the pitch, it's just very evident. Uh, and that's one of those things. How Newcastle are organized at the back, especially with without Lascelles, that's another thing. I don't know. This was a key moment in the game for you. What were your initial thoughts? Uh, 
Um, I mean, obviously, after swallowing me on heart again, getting that back down because Trippier's gone finjured. Um, obviously, a bit nervy, especially when what one of the key highlights for me first half was that we defended well and with structure for once. And a lot of that also comes from the midfield three. I thought Shelby again did really well on that front. But, you know, changing two of your back four, especially in a game where Aston Villa have potentially quite lethal left backs in Luca Dean and uh, Matty Cash, you know, a bit scary. And we'll get into a bit later also a situation involving Emil Kraft, which could have gone poorly were it not for a couple of centimeters or inches, maybe an American. <laughs> it, yeah. It, 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 it was a bit nervy, but I think both he and Dummett, all in all, uh, didn't do too badly. They, they, they made a good account of themselves and we ended up winning and they did, yeah. cost, they did well. They did their jobs, which was very nice to see. Yeah. Um. And so just Villa at this point, that that felt like the turning point from Newcastle looking like the better side to Villa really growing into the match and basically making it a bit more even when it, you know, when push comes to shove, uh, like literally right after that substitution, uh, they had a they had a chance down the right hand side with, uh, well, I guess down their right hand side with uh, Coutinho finding Matty Cash and that resulting in cash sending a shot wide later on uh Bundia, of course uh has no sorry later on we had an opportunity with alan st maxman he's just missed he's just wide and then like marcus alluded to um villa respond and <sighs> this is this was something so Coutinho plays in a ball to d to luca dean and luca dean shoots and then the shots deflected and ends up in the path of Ollie Watkins who heads it home. Um, and I mean, it was very close. The goal is initially awarded VAR takes a look at it and I guess rightfully says that it's not a goal, um, by yeah. literal centimeters. It's, it's the thing where like every other team in the premier league has been complaining about the offsides rule and VAR. And, like, we just never had this opportunity in Newcastle matches since really VAR's been implemented because there's just, one, not a lot of scoring in Newcastle matches. And, two, like, <laughs> we've just never had the benefit of VAR, like, in an offside position or whatever. So, um, and, and when Newcastle fans feel like something's offside, it's never gone back to VAR. So, yeah, you have any thoughts on this? I mean, it went from initial, like, everyone bashing Emil Kraft, but – uh, and, and to just a sigh of relief, but it was definitely a wake-up call. Yeah, because, I mean, I think I, I have two or three maybe thoughts on this, because the, the reason it was unsure whether or not Ollie Watkins is offside is because uh, Emil Kraft on the right-back position, he is further back than everyone else. He is dragging that line down, so that's his bad, because you couldn't even really tell watching the match, why he was offside, because well, Emil Kraft was almost out of frame. Yeah, so, and, and in fairness, like, when they did the wide shot, you could see there's there is someone he is marking. Like, he's got he's got dragged offside because there is the opportunity for someone to be played, played in behind. But again, like, 
it's so unfortunate because it's literally centimeters that he's keep like it's centimeters. So it's like I it's yeah. it's centimeters between Kraft and even the the rest of the back line. It's like very unfortunate all the way around. Like it's obviously Kraft's fault technically, but it's like you look at the full frame, you're like, well, he's clearly going to go mark this player who's completely unmarked. So I can't fault him for doing his job, I guess, but no, no, but I think there, there is something about that cohesion in the line, and I think that's probably where we could tell that Trippier was out because of that cohesion. It it does get altered slightly. Second thought is that that was probably Aston Villa's best play and like cause for worry for Newcastle going forwards is because Aston Villa there wasn't a lot of pace and purpose in their play. I felt throughout the game. That was something where things are happening, or this attacking move from Villa, things were happening quickly. There were quick passes. There was sort of, we have to make these snap decisions. And they ended up punishing us because Ollie Watkins, when he gets the ball, is entirely alone. And yeah, yeah you could say that's because the line was off. Or you could say that's because, because he was on Dan Byrne's side. Maybe Dan Byrne didn't see him because then, Okay, the line's up. So what should I not mark Ollie Watkins? Is that how it works? So cause for concern there. I mean, Ian, we're still finding our feet being structured and defensive, and we ground it out, which is good. And third thing is, I think it was the correct decision because I mean, if you are a kidney bean offside distance wise, it's still a kidney bean. Yeah, so, that's the rule. Um, I know the Prem is getting in some new, almost like Hawkeye goal line technology thing for offsides. That's not going to be in for another couple of seasons, but it's it's harsh, I think, for Ollie Watkins in the sense that you're not seeing that if you're a person. But then again, this is why we have Bob to make yeah. these decisions. So if, if it's the correct call, fair enough. I don't know. I don't think Aston Villa necessarily deserved a goal in that sense. I mean, a draw probably would have been fair, but then it's the margins, you know, and we had the margins on the day we took the chance we had. They yeah. Really. So I think that's my thoughts on it. Um, dramatic, of course, but fair, fair enough. I mean, Newcastle did well, and within, within the game, we won. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, after that, there was not a lot that happened. Not even, not even really a lot of change. That was clearly their best chance. Uh, Buendia had a header after that, but nothing, nothing really of of note for them. A couple subs for them: Leon Bailey, Leon Bailey came on, Danny Ings came on, um, and uh, Carney Chukum. I can't say it's Chukumameka. I think that's how you say his name. All yeah. came on for Villa in the second half. Newcastle, of course, were down to their last sub, so they did not really make any substitutions until the very end, in which we saw a Bruno appearance, uh, in which it wasn't as impactful as his first appearance in Newcastle, but he still got in there, made a couple, ch- made a couple challenges, helped Newcastle see this game out. Arguably, could have come on earlier than the 92nd minute. He came on for Joe Willock. Shelby had the captain's armband at the time and was on a yellow. Joe Linton was on a yellow. So I thought it was a bit odd that he came in for the only player in the midfield that wasn't on a yellow. But again, that's neither here nor there. Nothing ended up happening. Uh, the match finished one nothing. Uh, you could argue that, you know, it could have been a draw. Um, I'm actually 
gonna let me pull up the expected goals. Let me see. I'm curious to see what the expected stats say. Oh, yeah, the expected goals are essentially at, at 0.5 to 0.5. So yeah. it was supposed to be a nil-nil draw and end up being a one one nil win off a free kick. Uh any final thoughts on this match before we get into kind of man men of the match? Um no, I, I think again, I think how made the correct decision. Because because it is a bit like we alluded to or we were talking about last week is do you change a winning team? And especially in that situation where we are nervy with new things happening, uh, the midfield was doing well. We've got to be honest, they were shutting down a lot of that central area. Baston Villa not giving them a lot of stuff or room to manoeuvre there. So changing that dynamic, it is a risk, even though I'm I'm sure at this this point, it's Bruno has all the skills and he will come in and be a massive player for us. I've also seen some rumblings on social media regarding, oh, he's a £40 million player. He's not going to like not, not starting. It's, it's, it's two games in February. It's I think he's fine. And so I think that's fair because Howe has a squad to adhere to, not only a player called Bruno. So I reckon he's probably going to come in potentially even against uh, West Ham at the weekend. I would be a lot more open to that because they have a lot more of a dominating midfield. Uh, obviously, with uh, Rice and Suchek, we're going to get into that later. But no real thoughts. I thought Joe Linton did well. Again, He's it's a bit strange. I felt like I didn't notice him too much this game, but he that's just because he did what he's done under Howe and been really good in midfield. Joe Willick kept up his good form. John Joe Shelby did well. They worked as a unit, and that that was refreshing, very refreshing. So that's those are my thoughts. Yeah, um, spot on. I think the for me, um, and I guess we can we can kind of get into this. I, for me, I think, like you said, the midfield was something that you don't need to change, but there were definitely signs of during this match, particularly like Newcastle, there was not one moment where they controlled the midfield where in Everton, that, that unit was way more cohesive here. It was like a lot of individual performances that were, were solid, but I still felt as if like we weren't playing through the middle at all. Like Joe Willock outside of some of his runs, we just like Shelby was really wasn't on the ball that much. And a lot of Joe Linton's opportunities came from him pressing. So it's like, we still really weren't able to dictate the midfield. And part of that was like Aston Villa's midfielders were playing. Uh, they were, they were being stretched a bit out wide as well um, because mm-hmm. it felt like Coutinho and Bundia were coming a bit more narrow. Uh, and so like you didn't see us when we're winning the ball back, usually playing through the middle. It was essentially getting it out to the wingers and fullbacks and swinging in balls or trying to make some combination play, um, you know, in the final third. Yeah. But again, that's something that it's something to, to make note of because I think if there was an opportunity, if there was a justification for switching the midfield up, now you have it. Now you're like, okay, now it's time to potentially bring in Bruno um, for, uh, for, for one of the three. And unfortunately it feels like it's going to be Joe Willock, even though I think it shouldn't be, but that's. It's going to be a tough one because I think it all depends on how, how, and his uh, his team analyze where we could actually hurt West Ham potentially, 
because I think Bruno might have a big role to play in that game. But it's also who do you sort of drop? Again, they've all done well. I don't think you dropped Joe Linton just because he does that role as sort of a midfield enforcer who can get a bit of a run forward. He does that really well, and he's done that really well since Howe came in. Joe Willick is just starting to find his form. Maybe it's Shelby that dropped because, I mean, Bruno has a good passing foot on him. And I think, yeah, it, it, it's a tough decision because especially in the kind of game where we were at, where it's a grindy game, we're not doing well offensively. They're definitely not doing well offensively. But we're, both teams were doing well enough defensively. So it was sort of a bit of a, a wet noodle concert in a sense, or a wet noodle contest rather. The contest would con. I have no idea what I'm saying. Sorry. But anyway. It worked out for how, and I think that's all I'm saying is that I think it worked out, and that's the important thing because I think the 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 fact that we have shown now that we can grind out a result and be resilient as well as a big thing because if lest we forget before January that was one of the big big things we were talking about our defense is rubbish, and now another thing that's positive with the fact that we changed half our back line, we still held on and did have that semblance of structure throughout the team. So it showed that maybe not only is how working with his first 11, the squad's getting his ideas. Yeah. And this translating into a match situation. So I think those are my thoughts. But moving a bit on, maybe, Elijah, who was your man of the match? Um, I, I give it to, honestly, I give it to Joe Willock. Just he had a pretty, I mean, statistically, a pretty perfect uh, game for the midfield. Uh, 35 touches, did not fail to complete a pass, 100% pass completion, which is something that I've, I've honestly, I don't think I've seen in a Newcastle midfielder in had to be a couple of seasons. Uh, he had a chance created, won a fair few duels, five tackles, block shot, just an overall good, yeah, had a fair bit of successfully completed dribbles and all that kind of stuff. This is an all-around good match for him. And, you know, just considering, like, you know, what was that right before the Leeds match? I think he was pretty much unplayable. And then he's kind of really turned the corner similar to what we've seen from Joel Linton and Shelby. Uh, it's just, they go from being, you know, people that folks groan about when they see on the team shit to team sheet to being like, all right, this guy, how is he not starting? And that's how Joe will kind of progress, especially his last few matches. Yeah. I, I definitely buy a shout for Joe Willock. Um, uh, and, and just maybe as sort of a, he's just done so well over the past two games, particularly Leeds as well, for what little he did there was better as well. So I think Dan Byrne deserves a lot of praise because in the end, I think he was that stable bit. The remainder of the back four, he did get the man of the match uh, officially, so to speak. And I think he'll appreciate ours. Or my shout out slightly more than the Premier League, but you know, yeah, and get back to us on that, Dan. You're probably listening. Send us a DM, <laughs> yeah, and it's all you. But I think just like because you know he's returned to the club after 16 years or something after being released, and he has such an influential game. He carries on what he's done for Brighton previously. Now I think Dan Burn for me. It can't be anything else than Dan Burn. Yeah. And I only said, I think for me, it was, I was expecting Dan Byrne to slot in and do well. 
And so yeah. then when I saw him do that, I was like, okay, cool. And I just didn't really think like, <laughs> you know, how, I didn't consider that. Oh yeah. He's making his debut with the team. He's never played with or trained with, you know, well, not never, but he's just recently started training with. So yeah, uh, that's a fair shout. Uh, you know, before we go into a break, any other players you want to give a shout out to, I think obviously Kieran for the goal, but anyone else caught your eye? Um, not too much in the standout. I mean, Fraser, I think uh, he kept up a bit of what he started now under Hal, looking good. Wood, interesting closer to a goal, so maybe, you know, in a couple of kidney beans of distance to, to throw back to the Watkins disallowed goal. Yeah. Maybe, oh, well done, uh, <laughs> well done, uh, Big Wood. Uh, no, I think we've shouted out the important ones, but again, this was a collective team. Yeah. Again, and I think that's what's so good to see is that we're actually playing as a team and we're cohesive as a team. So that's the big shout out, just the squad. Big day for kidney beans on this podcast. Um, and yeah, agreed. Agreed, agreed. And I think the only thing I would notice, I think Fabian Chair also had a solid game, just another yes. solid game. Like nothing too spectacular, but just. He was there in the right places. And obviously, like, honestly, for Newcastle, as long as you don't make a mistake leading to a goal, like, everyone's going to think you had a pretty solid game. So, a uh, shout-out to Fabian Scher for that. Yeah, an easy bunch to please. <laughs> yes. Um, all right, we're going to take a quick uh, quick little commercial break, Ski, and then come back and hit some news real quick before we preview uh, Villa. Not Villa, West Ham. We play West, West Ham next. Yeah, we play West Ham next. So, but we're going to take a break right now okay we're back um so let's let's get let's get the sad news out of the way first uh so um as we mentioned earlier uh kieran trippier went down in the villa match with an injury lower leg injury not much known after that you know besides that i think a lot of people rightfully assumed that uh rightfully assume that uh, he's, that he was, you know, he re-aggravated the calf industry or hamstring based on what he was grabbing, but he knew it was bad as soon as it happened. He immediately took off the captain's armband and then went to, as Eddie Howe mentioned, his press, his post-game presser, uh, that he went to the hospital for x-rays. And yeah. it turns out uh, that he has fractured his fifth metasaural, which is, a, is an injury that I feel like maybe not a lot of soccer people are coming with, but that's like, if anyone, this is a shout out to Greg Troxel, but that's like a big NBA injury. Like a lot of NBA players actually fracture this very tiny bone in your foot. That is like, it's like the best case scenario for if you would ever break a bone in your foot, because usually you can be back, you know, with a quick enough surgery, you can be back and, and Adam, you know, within roughly six to eight weeks, potentially yeah. you know longer longer time frame being like almost three months but it's a big blow for Newcastle because like we said he just oozes class and we just haven't had a player that we've brought in that has been that much better than the rest of the team and that much more impactful uh and so it's going to be a tough one but we'll at least hopefully get some more of him at the end of the season and I think it's fair to say since he's joined Newcastle have pretty much done as well as they could with his services. I think we've got three wins and a draw since he's, since he's joined the team. So it's unfortunate, but you know, 
you hope that folks can step up. You, I feel good about having like Javi Mankio in the fold and Maddie Target as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I it would be one thing if if our reserves were just Emil Kraft, but having Javi Mankio, who's been <laughs> solid, is is fine. But yeah, any any I mean, outside of the obvious, any other kind of thoughts on Kieran being out injured? Um, huge blow, of course. I think. Um, I mean, find me, find me, find me better right backs in the league, sort of thing. Like um, who yeah. are more influential right now. I think it's going to be hard to find many who you can definitely say have been more influential since Kieran Trippier came in. Um. Obviously, it's his fifth metatarsal. I think that means it's the little toe. Yeah. Not going to say that for sure. I'm definitely not a doctor. But it is an injury that, though, it is fairly common in English football. It, we, we know what metatarsals are, because I think it was David Beckham before the 2002 World Cup did his, did his metatarsal. In, and I reckon that was probably the most Googled term around <laughs> that time, because David Beckham out with an injury before World Cup is... Not great. So I think it's a big blow, but it's also maybe a good test for the rest of the team. Because, I mean, these are players who know, I think John Joe Shelby also alluded to this in an interview he did with NUFC or with the club sort of press uh, this week, where he also said what a lot of pundits have been saying is that these are a lot of players who probably aren't necessarily going to be at Newcastle United for a long while now. Now that we have money to spend and we are spending and we're making good signings, maybe it is a good test for the players to be like, okay, we're not just Kieran Trippier's posse. We can actually do something on our own here. So I think for Jamal Lascelles, I think for Dan Byrne even, potentially Shelby, Dubravka, it, it, it is a big test for the leadership group in this squad but if they can take it and still come out of the other side of these six eight weeks for Kieran we could grow as a squad maybe I know that that's very sort of managerial buzzword way to put it but I think it could be good because if I'm not wrong Elijah there are also two international breaks within this sort of eight week period where Kieran might be out so yeah yeah, it's and not, there's there's still yeah. the additional games that we haven't played. We missed due to COVID um, yeah. that have to still be rescheduled and played. I want to say that was maybe Southampton and uh, Burnley, but Southampton I... And Everton. It's oh, Southampton, Southampton and Ever- Everton. Yeah, so those still have to be played. Now, we will we'll probably be playing a much better version of Everton, but um, because if if this past weekend was to, to, to show what they could be, then we might be in for a bit of trouble. But yeah, I, it'll be... I think it's 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 not best case scenario, but it's like it's something that you can certainly recover from. And again, it's it's unfortunate, but we have to move on. Players will step up; they they know they will. And I also think uh, as we're where it's it's at least not a spot in which I feel like we have no cover at. It's like we've at least got some cover there. It was a bit different when Callum went down. It was like okay, well, where are the goals coming from? That felt like a bit more of an impact than. Uh, Kieran on on paper. Now I think when you look at the match, I think you'll, uh, you you we are watching the games. It's it's different, but again we move on. Javi Mankio also has an injury. No real update on that as of now. Um, hopefully he is back for West Ham. That'd be exciting. That'd be ideal. But 
uh, hopefully it's not too serious, but there's been no, no, uh, no rumblings from, from anyone on the Newcastle side about that. Uh, next up, uh, just real quick, uh, Dan Ashworth last week stepped down from Brighton, uh, as his post as technical director. So there's yeah. a lot of, uh, it's a lot of, not a lot of talk. It's pretty much just confirmed at this point. I mean, uh, everyone's talked about it from the manager to they've already appointed his replacement, et cetera, that he's in line to become the new technical director or sporting director or whatever they want to call it at Newcastle. Uh, and of course, Ashford's got, a, he's very well respected in the English football uh, world for what he's done at Brighton. Of course, what he's done with the national team as well. Uh, any, any thoughts on, on this as we wait, what, what is it called? The, like a gardening period or something like that. I don't, it was a term yeah. I, I had to look up because I I hadn't heard of it. Yeah, I, I I don't know if I could define what it means literally, but it's essentially that there is a period of time where he can't join another club sort of thing immediately. Like there is that sort of airing out your laundry maybe type of period. So uh, we'll see when he comes in. That's a bit down to Brighton and a bit down to Newcastle, the negotiations there. But I think getting him in based on his pedigree and what he's done, particularly for Brighton, is what sort of interests me. Yeah. I it's, think I think it's going to be huge for them. Yeah, it's it's huge for the club. It'll be good, especially because he's a guy who is been kind of revolu- – not revolutionized, but uh, yeah, you could say revolutionized kind of how yeah. – uh, English football overall has looked at young talent and really trying to develop and get the most out of young talent um, as opposed to potentially bringing in like a ton of exports, which again, there's nothing wrong with that. And I'm sure like, it'll be interesting to see how he lines up with Newcastle's transfer kind of spending policy. Like, you know, are we really going to be going after a Bruno or are they going to go after another caliber player that maybe is already somewhere in English football? Are we going to be more of an emphasis on the Academy? I'm just curious to see, and get him in and, and get that first interview to see like what his uh what his um his uh his like mindset and strategy and, and stuff. And by the way, it's called garden leave. That's what it is. Garden and, there it yeah. Is. And it's like uh essentially where um you are paid, you're you're basically you're like you said, you cut ties with your club. It's either suspension or it's like you've been terminated and they give you like or just after you've left the company and they give you like basically time and space to like do whatever you need to do. Some, it, it got that name because like essentially people would uh, initially, and this is like lore, I guess. So we don't know that they don't have to take it with like reality, but people would uh, use like people would take their, they would take the leave and then like legitimately like catch up on hobbies such as gardening. So that's why I got that garden leave. So that's a, that's a fun uh, it's a fun fact. Okay, and yeah, speaking that of, is as English lang- language canon at this point. I think. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna start using it uh, just in everyday life, uh, not at all related <laughs> to employment. Good. Yeah, just just letting my boss know I'm going on gardening leave and her just being confused. Um, Can you update us next week, Elijah, on how that goes for you? Having a good week of gardening leave and using this term actively in your own life. I think that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think we would be really excited to hear how that goes for you. <laughs> okay. We'll have to make it happen. Okay. Um, and so speaking of kind of fresh faces, fresh ideas, 
things that we haven't seen before, like a technical director or sporting director. Newcastle have announced one of their first partnerships of the new ownership group, which is with StatsBomb, which Newcastle Twitter is fairly familiar with. Shout out to our boy Kev at, at Kev, who works for StatsBomb and does really cool threads on like players that Newcastle are linked to, um, players that the current Newcastle players and kind of just really getting into the nitty gritty with data. Uh, but yeah, StatsBomb, of course, is a massive data site, a big database that tracks a ton of different analytics um, regarding teams and uh, players individually. And so essentially they've got a partnership with Newcastle. Newcastle is now one of their customers. Um, and Newcastle will be able to uh, look at advanced analytics regarding individual players, as well as um, look at analytics regarding upcoming opponents uh, to be used in terms of scouting other teams. So it seems like a no-brainer. Uh, a lot of teams have some sort of analytical partner, but Newcastle for a long time have not. And you could you could fault that to Mike Ashley being cheap, or you could fault that to the fact that Newcastle haven't had a young, innovative own, uh, not owner, young, innovative uh, manager in quite some time. Uh, you know, since the rise of analytics, we've had Steve Bruce and Ralph Benitez and Graham Jones. So neither one of those guys are like up-and-comers in the footballing space uh one of them famously doesn't even i'm not going to say he doesn't use tactics but we're just going to leave that at bruce and say like hey it's you know he's not the guy the guy i would imagine is into advanced analytics no and i think getting this in and because i mean i can't remember the man's name but we also got one of those backroom analysts from liverpool yeah recently after the takeover and i think the game is so stats driven these days and stats don't give you everything you lose a lot if you only look at stats but looking at numbers and stats it, it, it is a development of the game and i think when used with that sort of sense and sensibility and also applying that in a practical term stats are important it's hard to get away from there impact on the modern game so i think getting a good partnership with them crack on yeah what what are you most excited about with with good stats for newcastle Elijah? yeah i think it, it's going to be good for honestly i think it's gonna be good for finding some of these hidden gyms uh if the new if if the it depends on how the team uses it like i think immediately where you'll see the impact is just how how they approach planning for matches i think uh I think, for example, Villa, it's, it's very obvious, but like, you know, Villa don't really have ball playing center backs and they're both of their fullbacks uh, like to stay pretty high up the pitch. Like Luca Dean, even like, that's probably one of the main reasons he and Rafa fell out is that like Rafa doesn't really like his wingbacks or fullbacks to be so high up the pitch. And Luca Dean almost at sometimes places the midfielder. We already talked about how wide their, their wingbacks and their midfielders were and like how far mm -hmm. up the pitch they were to the point where like, you know, there was almost nothing really going through the middle on either side. And so I think like that right there, Newcastle will be able to take advantage of that and press center backs who are not very comfortable with the ball at their feet, who are not the quickest and didn't really have that much support on, on either side. I think that is like a very small step in the right direction in terms of like how yeah. they approach uh, game planning for matches, because we just really haven't seen Newcastle uh, do that as of recent really game plan for individual teams and try to uh, exploit individual weaknesses. And this can only help. It'll be interesting yeah. to see how that affects like 
transfer uh, transfer stuff and like also potentially, I mean, this is something kind of mentioned in their press release, but um, something that's worth noting is that this also pulls data on Newcastle players. So it's good mm-hmm. to know what each player is doing well or like where each player is succeeding the most on the pitch. You know, if we're finding out that Alan St. Maxman is performs way better centrally, then it's like, then we could see a formation change or if we're seeing that, Hey, while Joel Linton has all these great numbers individually um, in the midfield, maybe he's actually best suited as a forward outside and outside forward still where he's able to press and win the ball in dangerous spaces, as opposed to just winning the ball in the midfield with no options ahead of him. So it's, yeah. it'll be interesting to see like how, how this is, how this is implemented. Yeah, I agree. Um, I don't know. I think, as you say, if we use it well, it can only be good. Yeah, and it's again, it's just another tool to have in the toolkit, and it's a tool we've never had before. So that'll be exciting. All right, uh, we're going to take another break uh, and have some more commercials, likely about Manchester United blended whiskey. I don't know. Hopefully not that. Uh, so we'll be back after this. Okay, um, Newcastle have another match. Uh, we play West Ham this weekend in a few days' time. How do you feel about this before we even get into anything? How are you feeling ahead of West Ham? Um, well, West Ham, obviously, they are a, a bit higher up in the table than definitely than we are, but also uh, Everton, Leeds, Aston Villa. I mean, they're one of the teams in the probably the most exciting race of the Prem this season if you disregard the relegation battle, the battle for top four and getting that yeah. fourth. They have looked a bit weaker as of late or maybe some of the weaknesses in their side has started to come out because, I mean, obviously they're through in the Europa League so they'll be having a match, I'm assuming this Thursday, if that's back as well. Antonio, Mikhail Antonio, isn't scoring that much of late. But then again, Jared Bourne is doing really well. Declan Rice and Thomas Suchek, fabulous. You know, England's new darling. Yeah, So it, it's going to be a tough test. It's going to be a very tough test. But we're not coming into a West Ham that have been flying the past month. So... It's it's nervous. It is, of course, nervous. This is going to be a huge test for the team. But we've also made strides the past three, four, since January started, really. We've made these big, very visibly noticeable improvements in the team. It, it It's doable. It's a doable game. Um, it definitely is. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So let's let's hop into injuries and stuff and go into predictive lineups. Uh, so. Let's see. Uh, for West Ham, Angelo Agbana is out uh, for the season. He's towards ACL earlier in the season. Arthur Musaku as well um, could be returning. Unlikely. Uh, probably closer to next week. He's got the injury. Uh, Gerard Bowen, as you just said, uh, he picked up a knock in the last match. So I don't know if he's actually going to play in this match or not. And of course, uh, Kurt Zuma, who we don't need to get into it, but he could or could not be playing based on either how he's feeling or how the manager's feeling or how fans are feeling. So that's just something to, to keep in mind. Uh, and then on the Newcastle side, 
the usual suspects, uh, Wilson, Fernandez, Hayden, obviously not in the squad. Lascelles is still listed as out because he's got an illness. It's not COVID, I think, but he's just not feeling well. So hopefully he'll be back in time. I haven't seen any training photos, so we'll have to be on the lookout for training photos. Uh, Jamal Lewis as well, not in the squad. Um, Javi Manquillo. Again, we don't really know the status of his injury yet. Um, but uh, then we've got Matt Ritchie as well, who was, who was recently talked about, about being injured, but we also Paul Dummett was, and Paul Dummett obviously played the last match. So we'll see. And then uh, Matt Target should be back in the fold um, after obviously having to sit against his parent club. Uh, yeah. Knowing that, and we're, let's assume, uh, let's assume Mankio is, is a let's say that he's hmm, i don't know how to approach this let's just say he's available and then we can maybe talk about you know what newcastle could do if he's not available because i don't know if emil craft is the answer there um so Mm -hmm. let's say minkio is available what is your starting 11 for this week my starting 11 for this week what a question elijah um matt target on the left I think that's a pretty that's a given. I've got to be honest. He has only played the once for us yet, but that went well against Evan. I think that sort of calmness is going to be needed. So he slots back in. What happens then on the right back, as you mentioned, that's going to be a bit more interesting. I think I think we're going to go out and be a bit positive. So I think maybe it's Mankiw there if he's available. If how feels he can adapt back yeah. to the right side and it's appropriate because he has played mainly on the left of late. Um, I think since Trippier is out, maybe giving Emil Emil Kraft that game time, letting him get his game confidence is probably not a bad thing. I think the midfield, oh, that's where I'm gonna have most issues because I I think Bruno might actually make a if he doesn't start this game. Oh yeah, well that's what we're assuming what the lineup's gonna be. Maybe even Bruno starts potentially for Shelby. That's gonna be the only change I foresee, really. I mean if Mankeel plays it's if Mankeel plays on the right if he's available, and then if it's Bruno comes in for one of the midfield three, because anything else isn't really gonna change, I don't think. He's not changing anything else right now. Yeah, you think LaSalle's is back in the fold? Oh, I didn't even thought of that. Um, I think that's the area I think I'm, I'm tough is like, is he going to play at the right center back spot or has Sharon done enough to justify holding down that spot? I think Cher has done enough, but Jamal Lascelles is a captain. Yeah, well, I that's think fair. He's back in. If, if he's fit enough, he's, come, he's coming in as captain next to Dan Burn. Yeah, um, I think, uh, like you said, I think Bruno comes into the midfield and I think he starts for Willock, though, just because I. I, Shelby's there's something about him that infatuates certain managers where he's just undroppable for some reason. So I think it, that he, I know what you're in a great logically, it makes no sense because they're very similar in how they play. But I just think that for some reason, like he, he get one, he like how speaks so highly of him. He's yeah. obviously enjoying himself. And he's like the only midfielder that never gets subbed off. And so far, what have the subs for Bruno been? 89th and 91st minutes. But yes, but, but like, thing- who has he been subbed on for? Subbed on for is my, my point. 
Oh yeah, it has been Joel Willick and both. So them. yeah, that that and again, I think I hope that changes in the future because I do ideally think that Bruno and Willick playing alongside each other would be the ideal scenario. Both two players who work hard, one that yeah. both are capable of carrying the ball at the pitch, and one is just going to be way more like making a lot more of the off ball runs while Bruno likes being kind of the quarterback of the, of the of of the midfield and spraying balls all over the place but i just for yeah. some reason based on these subs i just think that he's he's going to stick with shelvy in the middle and sees him as a leader at least for the time being we'll see if newcastle gets out of that like you know some some pundits which again they're being a bit let, let's 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 slow down some pundits are already going ah, oh, i think newcastle have done enough to be safe and yeah they're on a good bit of form but um, and the other teams haven't done quite well, but still you want to get to near that 30 point mark before you feel, all right, we're, we're, we're a little bit more comfortable and you really want to get to that 36 to 38 point margin before you really feel good about your chances in Newcastle are still a month and a half away from even being in that conversation with some difficult points still coming up. So I think he's not going to change as much and he's going to go with Shelby and use Woolock as an impact sub. But other than that, I think you're right. Front three is not going to change. Dubrovka is not going to change. I think LaSalle is going to slot in for share. And um, we'll see uh, whether it's Mankia or Kraft. I could see him going Kraft for that simple fact that like you said. Mankia has played mostly on the left. And uh, Kraft is another one I think managers rate decently well. And he Kraft actually made a couple of appearances for how uh, early on uh, before we brought in Trippier. So we'll see. Yeah, it's... Um potentially a lot of interesting decisions here before the West Ham game because I think I, I don't know, I just think if we win this game great heavens great actual heavens, I don't know what I'm going to do if we win this game if we win this game, I, I would feel like alright, we're going up because like you said, West Ham's a, a good team uh, They've, I mean, they've been in a bit of a rough patch but um Again, some of that's not even their own fault. They've played against some really well-coached teams as well, so you can't fault them too much for, for having a, a, a rough patch. But even then, they're still looking decent. So um, it's still going to be probably a cha- – not probably. It's going to be a challenge for Newcastle because as great as Villa um, were comparative, compared to Everton, West Ham are still that much better uh, and – uh, they had a yeah. tough one with with Leicester and uh, you know nearly lost that. But again, Leicester also a well coached side, and it's just like I don't know if Newcastle in its current state are to that level. And it actually kind of brings up something that Craig Hope said. I think he was on Talksport today, and he said this where he had mentioned that uh, how Newcastle have been winning games has not been like like they haven't looked good. They've just improved on the fundamentals that. Eddie is trying to instill in the team to a point in which like the team is together. They play as a unit. They do what the managers ask them to do. But again, we really haven't scored outside of the Fraser goal. We haven't scored any goals from open play. Like it's still not the best version of Newcastle that we think we can get under how. So I still think like, you know, Newcastle are very solid and they will be good enough to keep themselves in the match. I don't think it'll be, they'll be completely blown away or anything, but um, yeah. That, I think that's 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 going to be kind of how this West Ham match is going to go down. It'll be decent, um, and there will be opportunities. But again, if we come away with the win, it'll be it'll be it'll be a shocker. 
it would be a, a, a more of a shock than Villa, and it would be incredible. So, should we move a bit on to predictions, maybe? Because I think I have a prediction, Elijah. Okay, yeah. Let's do that. I'm doing a harsh 1-1. Draw. I'm going to draw. We're going to draw it. We're going to draw it. I feel it in fingers and toes and other outwards pointing extremities. It's it's a draw. Okay. Um, it's a way match against West Ham. I do think uh, losing Kieran is going to definitely hurt. Um, I think it will be a match in which Newcastle have chances. But again, if we don't get anything from Chris Wood, uh, like, you know, literally, if we don't get an actual goal from Chris Wood, I think it's going to be really hard for Newcastle to score. Um, just because I, I haven't really, I mean, Alan St. Maxman has been the source for goals this season outside of Callum Wilson. And like, I just don't see if he, I don't know. I just don't see him being as effective in this West Ham match. Um, and I, and I think he just, he just can't do it by himself. So unless we get mm-hmm. some sort of debut goal from Bruno, I think it's got to come through Chris Wood. It's got to come through Newcastle swinging balls into the box, really, really making uh, some West Ham players feel uncomfortable. We already named a few that they have. There's quality in that team. And of course, they they looked a little nervy in the FA Cup. But again, there's still quality there. So I don't know. Um, I, I think Newcastle actually lose this one. I think they lose it. I'm going to say they're going to lose it to nothing. No. Oh, hey. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I just I feel like a loss is on the cards. Uh, things are going too well. So it's not it's not bad news yet. Thankfully, I'll, we'll have to see how you fare next week. Your predictions. It's currently one nil to me, which I'm uh, very well pleased about. So we'll take that, sir. No, trust me, I'm not tracking these at all. So um, <laughs> yeah, it's going to be on you to track. I tried to track predictions. I just... will definitely be tracking them. Yeah. Um, do you have any players for Newcastle you think need to step up in order for Newcastle to pick out the result? Good question. It's 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 everyone, obviously. I think if Fraser keeps if he keeps doing what he's been doing and can actually keep contributing in the goal end of things from the right-hand side as well. So Newcastle isn't a left-armed punching machine. Yeah. With that, the maximum, that would be good. Because if we get crosses coming in left, right, deep balls from midfield, combinations with Willick going around Chris Wood, I think that would be good. Because then we can vary also. Because the thing with Chris Wood, I think that's an easy trap to fall into where He's big and strong. Let's just give him balls in the air. We can't become that one-dimensional. We can't afford it. So I'm going to go Fraser. Fraser is one to watch for this. Okay. Yeah, that, that'd be interesting. I'm also curious to see, like, you know, Eddie mentioned earlier, uh, someone asked him, I think, after the 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 match, uh, how he felt about Joel Linton in the midfield. And he, he alluded to the fact that the plan, like Joel Linton is an attacker and he he mentioned that. So I'm curious to see if there's at a point where Eddie switches things up and maybe inserts Joel Linton back on either the left or right or right wing. So I don't know. That's just something to watch out for. And I think that would be almost an ideal scenario for, 
for Newcastle from the midfield, just have three absolute engines in the midfield uh, trying to create opportunities for other, for other folks. I think we lose a bit of winning the ball in the midfield, but you sacrifice that in order to win the ball further up the pitch with an effective press, especially if Alan T. Maxman is not going to, well, if he's not going to press as effectively as he potentially could have. Uh, so yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's the, that's the nugget I'm going to leave everyone with and they can just kind of let that marinate as they prepare for uh, this match. <laughs> Good nugget, logic. Good nugget. Well, I think that's, that's it for us. Uh, so um, this is Elijah. That's Marcus. Um, we just did a podcast. It was exciting. Uh, give us a follow on the socials, except for Marcus, because he doesn't have a Twitter. At Coming Home in UFC, at CHN <laughs> underscore podcast. I'm not even going to plug my personal Twitter account because half of the people who listen to this already follow me. So at that point, you know, just retweet my stuff and comment on it, I guess. Um, that, that, that's been the show. That's what, episode 179, I think. Of uh, of CHN Radio, so uh, away the lads. Away the lads. Have a nice week, everyone. Oh yes, love you guys.